Mark chapter 3, verses 31 through 35. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. When I say the word family, I want you to stop and think about what comes to mind. So let me just pause for a second. So when I say the word family, what comes to mind for you? For some of us, the word family is a positive word. We think of family times and good family times and vacations and home-cooked meals and good relationships. But for others of us, the word family is a more negative word. So being with or even thinking about family brings thoughts of, of mind of anxiety or pain or even perhaps memories of abuse. For some of us, maybe it's mixed. It's mixed because you have warm memories of family, but also painful memories of family. Now, in, in an ideal world, the word family would bring thoughts of acceptance and love and safety and friendship and security and camaraderie. I don't know anyone. In fact, if I asked you to raise your hand, I don't know anyone who doesn't want to have a good, safe, secure family or the love and acceptance of a family. I, I remember a couple years ago, I do a lot of uh, travel, and I remember sitting on a plane and hearing a conversation of uh, two really old ladies on the plane, like probably in their 80s, right behind me, one of them talking to, to the other the whole flight, telling the other lady how her dad never loved her. I thought, she's in her 80s, and that's still what comes to her mind. Now, I don't know anyone who doesn't want the love and acceptance of a family. Those who have it feel blessed. Those who don't, have an experience of loss or long for close, trusting, and loving family relationships. Now today, as a church, we're going to discuss family, what it should be and what it can be. Not because I felt like it was important, but because Jesus talks about family and what it should look like for His followers. Now this is not just for those of us who are married about your family or those of us who have kids. This is for married people and single people and young people and old people and divorced people. It's for everybody because when Jesus talks about family, He's not talking to suburban moms and dads with two kids. He's talking to everybody who is His follower. So if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, then you need to hear what Jesus has to say about family if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope that you'll hear what Jesus offers regarding family. Now here at King's Cross Church, we're currently studying through the teaching of Jesus in a book of the Bible called the Gospel of Mark. It's the second book in what we call the New Testament. So it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Chris asked me to preach on this passage today because this is where we find ourselves. I love it that as a church, we're just kind of walking through what the Bible teaches, the words of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus. Now, if you feel tainted by Christian culture, like many of us do, the refreshment should be this morning, this has nothing to do with Christian culture, or politics, or Christian music, or church even. It has everything to do with Jesus' words to His followers. All right? And in this book of the Bible, the author Mark records for us the life and teaching of Jesus, particularly this morning 
about family. Now I'm going to read this text again. We just read it a moment ago, but I want to draw your minds to it once again. And then I'm going to do two things today. There's part one and part two of the sermon. Part one is I'm just going to walk you through so you can see what is happening when Jesus says these things. Because there's some questions that we might have. In the part two is I'm going to give you six implications. Now they'll be quick, so don't get nervous. I won't like labor each point, but part one is we'll walk through the text, and part two, I'm going to give you six implications. Let me read this for you again. Picture Jesus sitting in a crowded house with a bunch of people sitting around him. That's what's happening in this text. Mark 3.31, and his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Now let's just set the scene here, all right? So you know what's going on. It's been quite a while since we've heard anything from Jesus' family. Jesus spent 30 years with a biological family. He spent life with them, grew up with a family, but now he'd been gone for a couple of years. Now here, Jesus' mother and brothers show up. Now you might say, wait, where was Joseph? We don't know where Joseph was. Why didn't his dad show up? A lot of Bible scholars think that probably his dad was no longer alive because in that era, oftentimes you had, like when a man would get married, sometimes he was older. So it seems because we never hear anything from Joseph again, that probably Joseph is no longer in the picture. Now, it does bear to mention, because we live in a really Catholic community, and some of you went to Catholic high school. Maybe you went to Santa Margarita or J. Sarah. So the Roman Catholic Church actually teaches that Mary didn't have any other kids. You heard about this teaching, the perpetual virginity of Mary. So we talk about the Virgin Mary. But nowhere does the Bible teach that. That's based more on Catholic tradition. What we see here is that the Bible actually teaches that Jesus had a physical family. He had a mom and he had a dad. And we at least know he had brothers. And apparently they couldn't have any girls. They kept trying, but none would come. Now, we don't know if there were no girls. We just know that here, Jesus' mother and brothers show up. Now, why were they coming to him and what did they want? Now, this is interesting because verse 21, we're not studying that verse today, but back earlier in the text, verse 21 says that his family had come to try to seize him because they were convinced that he was out of his mind. Now, do you remember the TV show Intervention? Remember that? It was super sad. It's not good TV. You would watch it and just feel like this is horrible. Uh, This poor person's in the middle of a circle and they're trying to do an intervention. And usually the person died at the end of the TV show anyways. So you remember that show Intervention or you at least know what it means. Like Jesus' family had come to do an intervention. That's what they were doing. Now, why were they doing an intervention? Why were they coming to do this? Why did they think he was crazy? Well, just stop and consider for a second what's happening with Jesus, their family member. Jesus had left home. He'd left town. He'd left a successful family business to become a traveling preacher. Now, what if one of your kids said to you, I think I'm going to leave. Now, some of you don't have kids, but somebody in your family member, it's one of your family members, I think I'm going to leave everything that makes sense, and I'm going to go live out in the middle of nowhere, and I'm going to preach under a tent or something like that. You'd probably be like, okay, I'm glad that you're following God and all, but this seems a little weird. All right? 
he was also headed toward a head-on collision with the religious leaders of society, which no sensible person would do. In fact, that could get a person killed. And did it get Jesus killed? It did, right? A year after this, Jesus was killed. Verse 30 tells us that the religious leaders were accusing him of being demon-possessed. That's not good because religious leaders in that society could get you killed. All right, so Jesus threw away security and a good job, threw away the safety of family, and was about to get himself in a lot of trouble with some really important people in society. Now, perhaps, like I've heard this passage preached before, and people are like, see, Jesus' family were coming to him and they wanted special privileges, and they felt like they were like, hey, we're your family, we're here. But perhaps this was a loving thing that they were doing. Perhaps they were coming and going, hey, Jesus is off of his rocker. We got to help this brother out. We got to bring him home. Let's bring him back to the family business. Enough is enough. We know where he is. He has a huge crowd around him. He's going to be killed. We have got to go bring our family member home. Now, Jesus was sitting in a house full of people that were surrounding him. His family couldn't even get in. And while he was teaching, someone came in and told him, they said, Jesus, your mother and brothers are outside. They want to see you. All right? Now, instead of rushing out and giving everyone hugs, Jesus answers by saying some pretty intense things. He looks at the people. So picture him like he's seated in a living room like this, and there's people all around him in a circle. You can picture that. Maybe you've been to a home Bible study before. So he's seated. And he looks at the people right around him, like his, his, uh, his, his, the 12 that he had called. He says, these are my mother. He says, who are my mother and my brothers? Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister, thank you ladies, and mother. Now, this seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? You're talking about Mary like she rode on the back of a donkey. She gave birth in a barn. You know, she was only like 14 or 15 years old. How about some respect for your family, especially your mom? So what, what was Jesus saying here? Was he slighting his family? Was he being rude to his mother and brothers? Now, you know, just like if you send someone a text, have you ever gotten a text before and you feel like that must be mean, but they didn't intend it to be mean because you can't read tone in a text? Right? So we can't read tone when we hear this, when we read this. So we need to be careful to not read into it too much. We can't just assume that Jesus is just being rude to his mother and brothers. He might have gone out and talked to them and gave them all hugs and high fives after he finished teaching. We don't know. The text doesn't tell us. Here's what we do know Jesus wasn't being unkind or flippant because Jesus was perfect. Jesus didn't just spout off at people and be rude to people. He was perfect and kind and loving. Now here's what we do know. Jesus is flipping social convention upside down because He essentially says biological family is not the highest priority for His followers. Now you might read that and you're thinking about your family. You might go, awesome, my family sucks. I don't even like my family. Thankfully, there's another one. But that would not have been the case in this society. In this society, like family was everything. All right? So, so like your highest obligation was respecting your parents and disrespecting your parents would have been enforced by law. You weren't even allowed to legally do that. All right? In the words of Jesus... 
What he's doing is he's redefining what family looks like for his followers. And then that's the end of what we read in the text. We don't know what else happens. In fact, if you go to chapter 4 of Mark, which I assume we'll look at next week, I'm sure we will, parable of the soils, you go to chapter 4, it's like, well, now Jesus is out on a boat. So we don't know what happens next. This is the end. All right? We don't know if Jesus went out, talked to his mom and his brothers, but we know that every time we encounter the words of Jesus, we need to pay close attention because of the whole of the Bible teaches that Jesus is God in flesh and what he says is true. All right, so I've been preaching for 25 years now, and I've preached so much of the New Testament. My kids have gotten tired of hearing me preaching. I told Jackson I was going to preach. He said, is it an old sermon, Dad, or a new sermon? I said, no, it's a new sermon. I wrote this just for this week. Chris wanted me to preach on Mark 3. And every time I encounter the words of Jesus, I think this is like a fresh look at what Jesus says to his followers. All right, so I want to know, and I hope you want to know, regardless of where you stand with Christianity, I hope you want to know, this is what Jesus says, all right? And this, in this account from his life, he, what he says impacts all of us, all right? So what I'm going to do in part two, that was part one. What I'm going to do in part two is I'm going to unpack six things that Jesus words mean to us. All right. So what do we take from this? What did it mean to its original hearers? And what does it mean to us? And by the way, it's essentially the same thing. We speak a different language and we, we live in a different culture and we probably have more money than all those people had, but, but it means the same thing to us. All right. Six implications. And I, I really want to encourage you. It'll be like maybe 15 more minutes. All right. Or maybe 20 tops. And so uh, buckle in and don't be distracted. All right. Listen, because this is life-changing, not from me, but from Jesus. Here's the first thing. Jesus' followers, number one, I think it's going to be on the screen. Jesus' followers have family that's tighter and closer than biological family. Jesus' followers have family that's tighter and closer than biological family. Now, how many of you love your mom? You can raise your hand or you can not. You know, most of you love your mom. Some of you, few of us have a rough relationship with our mom, but most of you love your mom. You know, it, when we watch sports, we all so often at least, we used to always hear people thank their mom. And the other day we were watching a commercial with Draymond Green, who plays for the Golden State Warriors. And we like basketball in our family. And he was on a commercial with his mom. You know, most of us love our mom. And hopefully you love our dad. My kids better love their dad, all right? So you love your kids. If you have kids, you love your mom. Hopefully you love your dad if you have a relationship with your dad. If you're married, you love your husband or your wife. I'm glad you do because that's important. Family bonds are strong. Family bonds are really, really strong. Those of us who have good relationships with family feel this. And even if you have a difficult relationship with family, those bonds are still strong. You might feel frustrated at your mom or your dad, but there's still a family bond there. But see, God's ways sometimes run contrary to our tendencies. All right, so Jesus says here, He says, spiritual family is stronger than blood family. That's essentially what He says. Now, I'm, I'm going to unpack that as we go throughout the rest of this sermon. But He says, look, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a part of another and new family. That's what he says. Now the Bible says that we're adopted. Galatians 4 says God sent forth a son, born of woman, born under law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive 
Adoption as sons. You know what adoption means essentially in the Bible? It means to permanently bring a person into your home and to your family and to give them all the rights of inheritance. That's what adoption means. All right? So if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a new family. God's not just saving people who sit on a couch and watch TV preachers. All right, so maybe that was you. Maybe you got saved watching a TV preacher or something like that. But the Bible says you're now a part of a family. So you know what that means? It means church is not a place that you go. You know how we say, hey, we're going to church today? I told my kids today we're going to church and I'm preaching, so we have to leave a little early. But, but, but we say we're going to church, but we don't really go to church. Church is a family. All right? Now, this is a new church. So when I, when I prepare to preach, I think about what I'm going to preach. I don't just say stuff without applying it. So here's what I was thinking. I don't really feel like you guys are my family because this is a new church. And I'm only here like half the time because I've been speaking all week in Louisville. And then uh, I was in Minnesota two days ago speaking at a conference. And then yesterday I spoke at a big Asian American conference in Fullerton. And so I wasn't here last Sunday. So sometimes I feel like I don't really feel like you guys are my family. We've only lived in Rancho Santa Margarita for five years, you know, so we haven't lived here that long. Like, I feel like these people over here are my family because they look like me and they fight with me every Sunday morning and stuff like that. But I don't always feel like you're my family. Like half of you, I don't even know your names. You look at me and you're like, that's the guy that runs out right after he preaches because his kids are hungry, you know? So, but the truth is, is spiritually... If we're all followers of Jesus, we're family. That's what the Bible teaches us. We have a family that supersedes biological family, which is hard, hard, hard. All right? We're going to talk more about that. But according to Jesus, spiritual family is even tighter and closer than blood family. Now, you might be like, man, that, I don't really like that. Well, I can't do anything about that because I didn't say it. That's what Jesus says. He says, look, if you're a follower of mine, then these are my real brothers and sisters and mother. All right? So if you're a follower of Jesus, you'll spend eternity with fellow Christians. Now look, those of you that grew up in Christian culture or you went to Biola or you grew up in a youth group and you, you, know, and you, you feel like, man, I'm sick of Christians. I'm sick of Christian culture. You know, I read a book a few years ago called They Love Jesus But Not the Church. Like, I, I get what you're saying. I'm sick of Christian culture too. I don't listen to Christian music very often. I listen to it. I'm like, is there any creativity here anywhere? You know, so, but, but we don't get to just say, I love Jesus, but I don't like Christians. We don't really get to say that. Now, there might be a Christian that you don't like a whole lot. I hope that's not me. But, but generally speaking, realize this is family. All right? This is us. All right? Now, number two, if you come from a healthy biological family, recognize there's something more. I'm going to try to speak to those of us that come from various backgrounds. So I don't want you to raise your hand because I don't want to have a competition in the room. All right? But so don't raise your hand. All right? Simon does not say raise your hand. How many of you come from a healthy family? Not a lot, but some of you are like, I had a great family. My kids are like, my family's amazing. My dad's so awesome, you know? So, but how many of you came from a healthy biological family? All right? You have a challenge. You know what your challenge is? Your challenge is that your family's awesome and you love to be with your family. 
And Thanksgiving comes, and, and, and you're not like most people. You actually like to go to Thanksgiving dinner because you have great relationships with your family. But listen, if you follow Jesus, blood family is not all there is for you. You know, I told you the first time I preached, I think we moved to Louisville, Kentucky for three years. Don't do that. It's a bad idea. We tried it. You're going to go and you're going to be like, look at all this awesome culture and food. And then it snows. And you're going to be like, this is so cozy. Let's talk about it on Facebook and build a fire. And then there's snow on the ground six weeks later. And you feel like, where is California right now? All right. You know what I realized when I moved to Louisville? Like it was in, an, I used to call it Louisville, but once you move there, you call it Louisville or people make fun of you. So I realized, man, people have deep family bonds here. They know who they fought with in the Civil War. Like that's, that's what they talk about. We're just like, no, we're from California. We've moved eight times, you know. We're like, we don't even really remember our last name, you know. So, and they're like deep, deep bonds. Look, if you follow Jesus, blood family is not all there is for you. In fact, listen to this. Your biological family should not keep you from also building deep bonds with fellow Christians. Because church is not a place that you go but a family. Now this is challenging in our society. Listen, I'm going to say something, something that's kind of strenuous here. By implication, a person who prioritizes his or her family over his relationship with God is giving reason to question if he or she has even embraced the Gospel. I mean, think about that. If your family is more important to you than your relationship with God or being a part of a local church, then you could say it's questionable whether or not you really even get true Christianity. Because throughout the New Testament, Jesus basically is like, hey, this is more important than blood family. So listen, if you come from a healthy biological family and you have no room for church and you just show up on Sunday morning and you're like, no man, Thanksgiving comes and it's just me and my family because we're so tight, I would say, no, that's not okay. Jesus says you have another an even more important family. Number three, I told you there were six. This is number three. If your biological family is jacked up, am I allowed to say jacked up at church? Right? If you're bio, you all understand that phrase, all right? If your biological family is jacked up, don't raise your hand because there's pain in this, all right? But that's a lot of us, right? A lot of us come from messed up families. If that's you, you have another even more important family. You know, the first eight or ten years I preached, I feel like I didn't understand how many different people are, are experiencing pain. Some of you are here this morning and family is pain to you. And you just feel like there's been a lot of pain. I didn't have a dad. Or, I, or you know what, my, my parents were abusive to me. Or my parents split. And how could they do that when I was six years old? Alright, so, but if your biological family is messed up, you have another permanent family. All right, so listen, no matter what your family looks like on this earth, please hear me, you are accepted and loved and a part of a family for eternity. You might not always feel like that because church in the United States is not always excellent. Like you might go, we have good worship music and good preaching, but the community that comes with church is not always what it should be. All right, so you might not feel that, but, but you know that people in the first century lost their families because of loyalty to Christ. 
This is still true today. I mean, I travel to Europe a lot. You know, in Eastern Europe where Islam is, is, a, is a big force, even in Western Europe, Islam is a big force. If you become a Christian, you lose your family. You know that? I mean, yes, yesterday I was on the side of the road in Anaheim because I had a tire blowout on my car. And, and I, so I called a tow truck to change my, cause I'm like on the freeway, you know, you're that, that person that you, when someone breaks down, you're like, hope that never happens to me. And I'm sitting right on the edge of the freeway in the 57 tow truck driver comes. He can't change my tire. Cause thankfully Honda put a lock on the wheel, but didn't give me a key for it. And so, so anyways, he, so I get in the tow truck, tow truck with this guy yesterday. He's from Iraq, from Baghdad moved here 11 years ago. So I'm like, so what was it like in 1990 when he said, we lost everything? He said, my entire family, we lost everything. Our homes were bombed. I said, are you mad at the United States? He said, no, not really. We're mad at our own people because there's like five warring factions. And I started talking to him about being a Christian in Iraq and he was Catholic. So he, he called him, he said, we're Christian, we're Catholic. He said, so we're the minority. He said, if you become Christian in Iraq, you lose all of your family if you come from a Muslim family. So look, if your family is messed up, what I would say to you is you have another permanent family. Now, for those of you that have a great family, it's our responsibility to be family to people who don't have family. You understand that? I mean, for, for our, our first 10 years of marriage at our table on Thanksgiving dinner, we always had lots of people that didn't have anywhere else to go at our table. When you look back at our pictures, and we even have we even have biological family that that sometimes frustrated. They felt like, what are you doing with all of these people? Now, do you know when we go and visit my parents now, my parents live in Tucson, they're in their 70s, they live in a 55 and over community, and they're really missional in their community. So we sometimes feel a little frustrated because we go to visit my parents and there's all these other people around. Because my parents have led all kinds of people to Christ in their neighborhood and are always serving other people. Because the church is not a place you go, but a family. So why does the Bible talk about caring for widows and orphans? What do widows and orphans, at least in the first century, what didn't they have? Family. All right? You've heard Pastor Chris talk about Tim Keller. He's a pastor that a lot of us read in New York City. He actually says, the remedy to promiscuity. You hear that, single people? The remedy to promiscuity is intense community. That's what he says. So, you know, I have two daughters. They're 16 and 12, almost 17 and 13. I want my daughters to feel love from their dad so that they don't go look for that elsewhere. We've all known the 16-year-old girl that just didn't experience love, so she went out looking for love. But the church should be a place like that as well. The church should have such great family and community that a person who doesn't have deep family should feel loved and honored and shouldn't have to look for that elsewhere. Now, you know what that makes me feel like here? That makes me feel like we have a lot of work to do because we live in a place where we drive into church and we drive out. But if we're truly going to be a church that honors God, we're going to have to become family. Now, I know some of you might already feel like that because you came together from another church, but all of us, we need to be prioritizing that. All right, number four, for those of you that are skeptics and you feel like, okay, now you are allowed to raise your hand here. How many of you have ever been burned by another Christian? All right, hurt by another Christian? You feel like, I'm not trusting anybody. Now, I've tried that. Here's what I would say. 
family is sometimes dysfunctional. Even spiritual family. We've been hurt by a lot of people. We've had pe- I mean, I, I was a lead pastor of a big church for a lot of years. And we had, we had people that would leave us and never talk to us again. They weren't even mad at us. They were mad at something else. And we would, that we would feel very hurt by that. We've had people stab us in the back that were Christians. You know, maybe you feel like, yeah, I don't know, man. I've, I've experienced that already. I would say we, we live in a far less than perfect world. That doesn't mean Jesus' teachings aren't true. The fact that you've been hurt by somebody in the past doesn't mean Jesus' teaching isn't true. So family is sometimes dysfunctional. And I would say even spiritual family. And I, 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 I feel like we as a family have been as hurt by Christians, I think, than anybody in this room. Because we're older than a lot of you. And I've been a pastor for much of my life. And yet, here we are at King's Cross Church still trying to build family. You know, because that's what Jesus teaches. Sometimes family is dysfunctional. So if you're frustrated or with Christians, now don't raise your hand, but are you frustrated with Christians? Frustrated with the church? Frustrated with pastors? You've been burned by a pastor before? I would say get in line. So have the rest of us. I don't know anybody who hasn't been hurt by a pastor somewhere along the line unless you're super young. I would say, look, family is sometimes dysfunctional. You know who's perfect? Only Jesus is perfect. All right? So you've heard the whole, like this isn't in my notes, but the, the, the church should be a hospital. Like it's a hospital for sin. When people go, Christians are so like jacked up, I cannot be a Christian. We would go, yep, that's what Christians are. Christians are a messed up group of people who are getting together, celebrating what Jesus has done. All right, number five. Biological family still matters. Some of you might go, wait, what do I do? Is it time to just abandon my biological family? Some of you are here and your kids are in the room. and You feel like, wait, can kids still come home for Thanksgiving? Can I still love my own kids? Can I prioritize and spend time with my own family? This, none of Jesus' words can be interpreted to say that I can say to my kids or wife, you know what? I've got to give my life to other Christians. I can't have anything to do with you because I need to go serve God. In fact, I've heard people before who were raised in a pastor's home who felt like their dad was never there because he was too busy serving everybody else. All right, so biological family still matters. Why do we know this? Just because I feel it? No, because the Bible teaches it. Jesus condemned divorce. So Jesus valued marriage. Jesus condemned those who ignored family responsibility. You know what Jesus said to the, to the religious leaders? He said, you guys are hypocrites. You like to throw all this money out in the synagogues and stuff, but you don't even take care of your own parents. You know when he said that? So Jesus actually said family is important. He criticized religious leaders for not honoring their parents. Guess what Jesus did when he was hanging on the cross? Do you remember what he did when he looked down and he saw his mom? Did he go, you're not my mom anymore? No. He, he looked at John and said, please take care of my mom. Didn't he? So I watched, we, we've watched both of our parents take care of their parents. We've, we've taken care of our parents. This is not to say that your biological family is irrelevant. So I'm not saying, hey, once you, once you join Christianity, you're now in this cult and there's no more family. No, that's not what the Bible talks about. Paul says a person who doesn't provide for their family is worse than an unbeliever. All right, so the key is to recognize that there's something else 
that's even more important than blood family. Not to overreact and to say, you know what, I'm going to abandon my own family. Now, before I get to number six, let me just review where I've come from, and then I'll close with number six. Jesus followers have family that's tighter and closer than biological family. If you come from a healthy biological family, recognize there's something more. Three, if your biological family is messed up, you have another permanent family. And we should be, as a church, surrounding people. Four, family is sometimes dysfunctional. Five, biological family still matters. And number six, probably the most important thing that I'm going to say today, is that there are insiders and outsiders to Jesus' family. There are insiders and outsiders to Jesus' family. Every time I preach, I have a list of five questions that I ask before I preach. And one of those questions is, would I want this to be the last sermon that I ever preached? All right, because I should take it that seriously every time I preach. Would I want this to be the last sermon that I ever preached? If this was the last sermon that I ever preached, I'd want you to know Jesus makes it clear that there are insiders and outsiders to his family. So knowing about Jesus doesn't mean that we're a part of his family. Even, even being here every Sunday and feeling like, well, I, I like these people, these people are all right, doesn't mean that I'm a part of his family necessarily. Jesus' own brothers didn't believe in him while he was alive. You know, even the language of this text, when you study guys like me who preach, we, we study what the Bible scholars, you know, because certain people will give like five years just to studying the Gospel of Mark. And so we, we, we read these guys. So the, the scholars say that the very fact that Jesus' family was standing outside in the language indicates that they were probably not included in those who followed and believed in Jesus' teaching. His, his family was standing outside but a crowd was sitting in a circle around him. So Jesus says that his family, in verse 35, are people who do the will of God. That's what he says. He says, if you want to be in my family, then do the will of God. Now what does that mean? There's another parallel passage in Luke, and I've preached the other parallel passage before, Luke chapter 8. In Luke, Jesus, Luke records Jesus as saying, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So what does it mean to follow the will of God? It's not just knowing about Jesus. It's not just admiring Jesus. It's not just going, hey, Jesus was, you know, He said some really good stuff. It's it's knowing what Jesus said. It's hearing it. And it's doing it. Now the way you become part of Jesus' family isn't to live better or just to try to follow Jesus as your example, or to clean up your act and to live right, or to stop swearing so much, or to cut down on your alcohol consumption. Um, all of those things might be good. It's just that that's not how you come into Jesus' family. The way that you join Jesus' family is to recognize that you're not naturally in it. You're not born into it. Right? And to recognize that the only way to join God's family is to recognize that Jesus made a way for you. So you essentially say, God, I know that I can't do things perfectly, that I've messed things up, that I'm constantly running away from you, that I'm constantly not doing the right things, but I know that Jesus lived the perfect life. And so I trust in Jesus' perfect record on my behalf. All right. So when I stand in front of God someday and God looks at me and I don't know if he'll say this, but he looks at me and says, hey, why should I let you in here to to eternity with me? I'm not going to go because I preached and I helped plant King's Cross Church and because I was faithful to my wife. 
Because that's not what gets me into God's family. I'm just going to point over at Jesus and go, it's because of what he did. It's because of what he did. He lived the life that I could not live and died the death that I deserve to die. So the person who hears the teaching of Jesus listens, responds, and follows him for life is called his brother, his sister. This is a bond that transcends the most intense bond that we know of on earth, the bond between family. Now, just in conclusion, two questions. Evaluate, are you part of the family? Are you sure you're part of the family? And then second, are you participating in the family? All right? It's not about just going to church. Are you participating in the family? All right? Now, I would hope, as I'm going to close and introduce communion, my hope is that you will walk away from here today and that you'll somehow be moved by the words of Jesus to action, to think differently, to do something differently, to confess to God, to come into his family. And that's my prayer for you. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.